And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to The Athletic Baseball Show presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. It's Friday, July 23rd, and this will be a trade deadline preview. We will attempt to use our magical powers to place players on new teams. We'll see how well we do next week because next week's show is actually going to be a live stream, 4 o'clock Eastern on Friday afternoon. We'll break down all the trades. That, of course, will become a podcast later on that evening. So if you're looking for this show next week, Friday morning, it won't be there until later in the day because of the timing of the deadline. On this episode, though, we'll talk about a few players that we expect to be on the move. We'll identify the clear buyers, and we'll talk about some players that have recently debuted in the big leagues and set some expectations for them as well. Keith, I think there are actually quite a few interesting storylines that should develop over the course of the next week or so. And one is on the north side of Chicago. The Cubs are probably breaking up the band. They got the World Series title that they waited forever for in 2016. But guys like Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez and Chris Bryant all seem pretty likely to be dealt at this point. And I think the big question I have for you is just how young do you think they go with the prospects they get in the return? Because we've seen in recent years, teams have been increasingly reluctant to deal top 50 prospects. And going younger gives you a chance to get a lot more ceiling. Could they go as young as they did with the return they received in the U Darvish trade as they look to move Rizzo, Baez, and Bryant here in the next week or so? Yeah, the Darvish trade to me would be, if you want to make the argument that they're going to go very young, you look at the Darvish trade. But I also think the Darvish trade was more about dumping salary, dumping a uh, not just for one year, but dumping several years of a large contract. Well, large for them. Well, actually, not even, right? If you're the Cubs, you have plenty of money. It wasn't even that big of a contract. The Rickets were just being cheap. Let's just call it what it is. And so they went for a bunch of extremely young prospects. Some of them were prospects. They're really interesting, but are many years away from the majors. They shouldn't have to do that at midseason. They should not have to specifically, because because this is, my God, if the Cubs are just trying to save money in the middle of the season, something is seriously wrong with that ownership group. Well, something more is seriously wrong with that ownership group. Uh, this should be about just getting the best return you possibly can for whichever players you trade. And I don't know, maybe they keep Anthony Rizzo, anti-vaxxer Anthony Rizzo, because he is obviously absolutely beloved there, has been there for such a long time, is... Uh, you considered sort of one of the leaders of that club. Maybe they choose to keep him. Also, he's a 32-year-old first baseman, and I don't know how much you want to invest in a player like that uh, for the long term. If this were about keeping him one, two more years, that might be different. But Bryant and Baez especially, I think, you know, I'm sure it's going to break a lot of Cubs fans' hearts, but you should trade those guys. You should at least put them out there. Also, because I don't think the trade market is going to be that great. It's going to be more of a seller's market, I think, because there aren't that many teams, I guess we'll go through this, who are likely to be sellers who have impact players potentially to deal. I feel like other than Joey Gallo, a couple of these Cubs guys we've mentioned, there might not be five impact hitters available. And that's not saying they'll all be traded either. So that to me is all the more argument for Jed Hoyer to at least get out there and say, we're taking offers. We don't have to trade everybody, but we are taking offers on all of these players. And then you try to get prospects, back to your original question, who are maybe a little closer to the big leagues, just to get some more probability, right? It's, it, there's the, even the best prospects who are far from the majors generally have essentially no floor, right? They have, there's a good chance you get nothing. There's a good chance they get nothing out of any of the four very young prospects they got back for Darvish. You'd really rather not end up in that situation. 
I was looking at that group today. I think only one of those four players has actually made a debut at a full yeah. season affiliate this summer. I mean, that's yeah, I that's how that's young right. those guys are. Uh, so yes, several years away. Rizzo is an interesting player to me, though, just because I thought he had the kind of skill set that would age gracefully. The power has been down, at least in terms of the slugging percentage now, going back to the shortened season. He is on the wrong side of 30 now. So I think he's a tough player to try and commit to on a multi-year deal, especially if you don't think you're going to win anytime soon. Maybe there's a handful of teams out there that actually do need a first baseman who are willing to give him a two- or three-year deal and say at least the floor is good, even if the ceiling isn't what it used to be. I think Baez is actually pretty interesting just because so much of the attention leading into this deadline has been focused on Trevor Story. There's only one Trevor Story to go around, and there's at least I think there are at least two teams that could use an upgrade at shortstop. Oakland is the clearest one. I think Elvis Andrews at this point is just a bench player, even though he's been a little better in the last month and a half than he was to begin the season. And I think you could probably find room. I mean, the Yankees could add a shortstop, right? They could add a shortstop and move yes. Gleyber Torres off of the position and shuffle things around. So I think there is a decent chance Baez goes, and, and maybe he's in a weird way a consolation prize for whoever doesn't get Story. But Story, Story has not had a typical Trevor Story year. I mean, the home runs and steals have been there, but if you look at the overall body of work from him, it's a down year for Story at a bad time with free agency around the corner this winter. How much do you think his step back this season, we'll call it, has actually impacted the trade market for him? I will say when we talk about story, the first thing that comes to my mind is we don't entirely know what's going on with the Rockies, right? Bill Schmidt is the interim GM, but it's not clear how much authority he even has to make a significant trade like that. Is ownership essentially steering that ship? Are they, is he allowed to entertain offers for story? There was, there were rumors that, oh, suddenly they weren't talking about Trevor story trades. Oh, well, they're not talking about it now. They'll talk about it later. So yeah, I don't think Trevor story's trade value is maybe as high as it was a year or two ago because of performance. And also because obviously he's got less service time remaining until he is a free agent. But I think the bigger issue is just nobody knows what's going on with Colorado, what Colorado is even looking for, even if they are willing to make a trade, if if Bill Schmidt has been told, well, yes, he can make, he can at least conduct those negotiations. But what are they looking for? Are they looking for short-term help? Are they looking for long-term help? Would they approach this? Bill Schmidt has run their drafts for more than 10 years, very successfully, I would argue. Does he go after Bill Schmidt's sort of prospects, like Zach Veen, who they took in last year's draft, who looks like a star right now, and they took a similar prospect in this year's draft, and Benny Montgomery, do they target guys like that? Is that how you make a trade with a Bill Schmidt, or is it more, no, 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 we need guys who are closer to the majors. Um, we need guys who are higher floor, for example. Nobody knows. And I'm not blaming Bill in that situation. I'm blaming ownership. I think ownership has created a terrible mess there, and it has left other clubs uncertain of who to deal with or how maybe to approach that situation. And it probably also wouldn't help their negotiating uh, stance when I think pretty much everyone thinks they did a, you know, the previous GM did a bad job with the Arenado trade and who knows how much he was, his hands were tied in that situation by ownership. But to me, that is, if you're trying to do a deal with them, do you want to end up paying a lot more for, story than St. Louis paid for Arenado and potentially looking bad in that situation. I mean, there's a lot of variables that I think come into play that probably shouldn't, right? Ideally, if you're a Rockies fan, you're just saying, we're trading Trevor Story for the best package we can possibly get. I mean, because of all of these extraneous variables, I feel like that's not that likely to happen. Yeah, and I wonder how much of, of Trevor Story's disappointing 2021 is just the byproduct of being surrounded by a miserable supporting cast. It's a, a bad team, yeah. Really bad Rockies team. And you have the internal motivation to go take care of yourself in free agency, but you can only do so much when the team around you is as bad as that offense is. Also, he has been below replacement level on the road. I know there's it is fraught with difficulty trying to look at home road splits for Colorado players. Obviously, DJ LeMahieu left there and has been very good since, of course, he went to another hitter's park. But still, just looking at road stats for Rockies players isn't always definitive. However, I would look at the fact that Trevor Story has been, again, below replacement level away from Coors Field. And, it, you know, it might be a little nightmare fuel if you're talking about giving up actual prospects for him. What if you get Trevor Story and 
even if it's just temporary, it's just a short-term adjustment for him. You get him and he can't hit away from course field in a very short term. You're talking about getting him for two months or you're not talking about a long-term investment where you say, well, he's going to return to being Trevor Story again. That's There are a lot of reasons for concern here. I just keep coming back to this is a pretty lousy situation for an interim GM to be in. You don't know the direction. It's not even clear externally how much authority you have to make a trade like that. And the guy you're trying to trade is probably reaching a new low in his market value. Businesses run as poorly as the Rockies and most other industries would be punished. <laughs> the Rockies, you know, they just get to keep making money. So mm-hmm. I think that makes me frustrated from the outside looking in. Uh, thinking about Story versus Baez long term, I imagine most people out there would say if I were going to sign one of these players, Baez is swing and miss, which has always been an issue but has become a bigger issue going back to really the shortened season. I mean, 37.1% K rate for the year, even though he's hit 21 home runs, even though he's been a, a two-war player to this point in the season, that is a very volatile player. I'm trying to imagine what a Javier Baez contract looks like this winter compared to Story, and I think I'd be a lot more comfortable with Story even with those road numbers because I think what you're, you're kind of getting at is with Colorado, going on the road is difficult. The ball moves differently. You see the ball differently than you did during your games at home. And I think that's part of why those splits are as divergent as they are. And not having to make that adjustment going in and out of Colorado can improve those road numbers, even if you lose the boost of being at Coors Field. All that to say, I think if it were up to me, I have a long-term preference for story. If I had to give four years to one of these guys or possibly more for story, I'd rather sign him than Baez because I think Baez is plate skills have always been problematic and they're not going to get better once he gets past age 30. That's just not how it works. Which side of that are you on if you had to commit yeah. a long-term deal to one of these guys? Oh my God. I just pulled up Baez's and he's leading the NL in strikeouts. He's still, he's got 21 homers. He's still slugging near 500. I mean, he's become just this all or nothing. It's two true outcomes. It's strikeouts and homers. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh my God, that 14 walks 13. One of those is intentional. Of course it is. If he didn't have those seven times hit by pitch, he'd have an on-base percentage of what, about 270? And yet he is, I still think, one of the most exciting players and capable of so much more. I don't know. You know, I really don't know what's gone on with him. Obviously, since he was, you know, finished second in the 2018 MVP voting, he followed it up with a pretty similar year in 2019 and since then has been atrocious and he's still only they're the same age he and story are are, i think only about two months apart and i look at Baez and think you're it's his age 28 season do i want Baez's age 29 and 30 seasons yeah i probably still do he's never going to be patient um but i don't know that he has to be he just has to be better right He, he just has to be better than he is more disciplined than he is right now and that he has been for the last that's not quite a full season right it's about 144 games between last year and this year when he has 20 unintentional walks in 144 games which actually for him is probably pretty good um and in that span he has over 200 strikeouts i mean that's just he's just gone past the thresholds for those things. And yet he still has 29 homers and he still plays really good defense at short. And he is still an elite base runner and an elite uh, tagger. And he does all of these other things that just make me not, of course the answer is story, right? But I'm trying to come up with all these reasons that it should be Baez because I know Baez is capable of more. I absolutely think he's capable of more. Maybe Baez goes somewhere else. It's just a different environment. It's not this sort of gradual downward trajectory that we've seen from the Cubs the last couple of years. And who knows? Maybe he's with a different manager or a different club. It could be anything. And we see the good Javi Baez again. We see how much he is capable of. In 2018, even 2019 version of Javi Baez comes back. I believe it's still in there. But if you're telling me I have to give one of them a five-year contract, it's a story. Of course, it's a story. Because I'm still, I'm still a rational thinker at heart, even though my emotional side is saying, no, we want Javi. We absolutely want Javi. Have you seen that slide into home plate? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's uh, <laughs> El Mago, right? Like, I mean, he's... Yes! He's, the tales are true. Like, it's it's fun to watch. It, it There are ways he provides value that are not captured in the stats we love to use to measure value. That's, that's yeah. simply 
that's the truth with Javier Baez. I think he fits well on a team that doesn't have a major contact issue as a group, though, right? If you think about where he might sign in the offseason or where he could land, Oakland actually could be the fit. I see Oakland and Trevor Story connected all the time. That obviously could happen. But I would say of the teams that actually need a shortstop, but again, it's a short list, Oakland only strikes out 23.2% of the time. Weird sentence to say because that five years ago would have been a pretty high K rate for a team, especially 10 or 15 years ago. But that's a below average strikeout rate for a team. They can absorb a little bit of swing and miss, reap the benefits of the defense, have that power, maybe hit them fifth or sixth in that lineup, and it would be a pretty big upgrade for them. So I think that's part of finding a good fit for him too, is just having a team that doesn't already rely too much on the long ball and doesn't already have too much swing and miss in its core. Yeah. And that's isn't that the type of player that they've often gone for is somebody who's maybe who's been well, not always, but often it's guys who've been productive somewhere else, but we think we can get more out of them. Or we have to, you know, the converse would be we have to get these guys at a discount, right? We can't pay full price for players like that because we're Oakland. We can't give away all our prospects. We're never gonna pay uh, the full market value for, for certain guys. So we take guys who are maybe a little bit flawed, but we bring them in and we think we can find something else. I mean, Marcus Simeon was, you know, it's a different situation, different way of acquiring him, but he was pretty deeply flawed as a player. He was an awful defensive shortstop before he got to Oakland and he turned into a well, more than a competent one, turned into actually a pretty good one under their tutelage. And you know, it's bias, obviously a different situation, but maybe just going there, maybe it's a different situation. Who knows? I don't know. You know, and then the, there's a little voice inside of me that says, you know, how you buy this guy who wants to play in front of some p- pretty big crowds? He's not going to get those in Oakland. Will that affect him? I don't know. I, okay. I, I actually don't know. Would Javi Baez be better off? Would he go to the Yankees and thrive because he'd be playing in front of huge crowds all the time and the spotlight would be on him? And I think Baez is the guy who wants the spotlight to be on him. It's, he's wanted that since high school. I remember seeing him in high school and he would be – his team would run out on the field and he would come out, uh, you know, half beat after them. And he would have a different hat sometimes than the other players on the field. And it was a little bit of, uh, hey, I'm the star here. Look at me. And I know that bothered some scouts, but for me, it was like, eh, it ain't bragging if you can do it, right? He was the best player on the field by a lot. So I got it. I don't know. I'm spitballing here. These are all things that would be going through my head if I were a GM of any of these clubs and trying to think of ways that you – know, rational counter arguments to making a big investment in a player like, for example, a player like Baez, who could be, you know, you get the you get two good months out of Baez. He can absolutely add two wins to you, to your club and make a difference for you in October. He is a difference maker when he's at his best. But I also would look at this and what if he comes over and he has a two sixty five on base percentage for the rest of the season and you've basically given away prospects for nothing. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and you got Chris Bryant, too, who's shown an MVP ceiling in the past. He's dealt with some shoulder injuries, but it looks like he's mostly past that. He does have a hamstring injury slowing him down right now, so that could complicate things a little bit in the next week or so. It doesn't seem like it's serious enough where they wouldn't be able to find someone to trade for him as a result of that injury. I mean, we're looking at Bryant as a guy tracking towards being a three or three and a half win player this year. Mm-hmm. So maybe the ceiling isn't as high as it used to be, but I think he's got a higher floor than Rizzo. And I think he's got a higher ceiling than Rizzo. And I think he's less volatile than Baez. And I think the way the Cubs have moved him around defensively, even if he's not necessarily a good defender at all of the positions that he plays, he can fit on a lot of different teams, being able to play both corner infield spots and probably both corner outfield spots, at least well enough where you feel okay about it. Yep. 
I actually agree with everything you just said there. And the fact, you know, he's been a little banged up this year, but actually kind of everybody has. So, you know, I, obviously the, maybe teams would just want to make sure he's 100% healthy before the trade, but we still got, what, nine days till the – no, eight days till the trade deadline, right? It's a day early this year. Um, yeah, I would have no hesitation making an investment as a as a rental. The word to, all we're talking about these guys right now is rentals. I would absolutely acquire Bryant. And I think you're finally seeing – um, frankly, two actually two years ago, he was pretty good. It just sort of, I think, was overlooked because it wasn't, you know, the, the MVP version of him and the version and what he did those really those two years, his age 24 and 25 seasons. Maybe that's not coming back. It's a little weird to say about a player who's still only 29, but maybe that was his peak. But the version of him that we saw in 2019 and that we've seen so far this year, still pretty productive. And as you said, you can move him around, he can play a couple of positions, he's got some patience. He's definitely got power. Uh, he's valuable. He is maybe not the like maybe he's not the superstar, you know, impact guy that we saw five years ago, but he's still pretty valuable. And maybe that's the guy there, you know, if you're the Cubs, you can sort of bank on getting the most predictable return. Whereas I could see them putting Baez out there and I'm sure they'll get offers, but maybe they get a maybe they don't get offers they consider reasonable for him. Whereas my guess is Baez attracts the most sort of consistent offers from other clubs because I think he's easier to value. Other than last season, he's been pretty consistent um, in his production. His skill sets are pretty well known. And because you can put him in at uh, up to four different spots, most clubs would find be able to find a spot for a Chris Bryant for two months. Yeah, I think when I was getting ready for today's show, I identified teams that were clear buyers. There's about a dozen clear buyers like the Red Sox, the Rays, the Yankees, the White Sox, the Astros, the A's, and you get the Mets, Phillies, Brewers, Dodgers, Giants, Padres. There are other teams trying to chase wild cards that could be in the mix or they could be making deals for players who aren't necessarily rentals. They could be trying to upgrade their team for this season and beyond, right? I mean, Toronto, I don't think is necessarily going after rentals, but maybe they add bullpen help that they'll have control of for next year too. Cleveland could be making some moves kind of in the middle. The Reds, the Braves, the Nationals, those teams haven't necessarily chosen a direction. And we've spent a lot of time the last few weeks kind of breaking down strengths and weaknesses of those clubs. But if you go through that list of teams that are clear buyers, like half of them have a need to upgrade a corner spot. So either putting Bryant directly in that spot or putting him at third base and moving someone else over to the corner spot of need he'd be an upgrade bat for at least half of those contending teams, if not more. I think he might end up being the best overall player moved at the deadline, or at least the guy who does get the most back in a trade, unless we see somebody who has several years of control left. If Byron Buxton were to get traded, he's a free agent after next season, I think he could actually command maybe a larger return than Chris Bryant just because of the ceiling he's flashed. And because of service time, right? That's totally, I, I agree with you. So to me, it's almost like we have two separate potential markets going on here. We're talking about rental players, where the players are basically headed to free agency in two months. So you have their contractual rights for a very limited period of time. And so that market, you know, it's you, if you're a GM, you're selling, you have, it's now or never, right? You trade the player now, or maybe you get some, maybe you get an extra draft pick as compensation if they leave as free agents. But that's generally not as attractive as what you're going to get in the trade market right now. Now, compare that to, for example, Sandy Alcantara, who I was speaking to a scout yesterday, and he thought that the Yankees had some interest potentially in acquiring Alcantara. Those two clubs, the Yankees and the Marlins, are going to do a lot of deals because so many of the, uh, the Marlins front office people recently came over from the Yankees. That's a completely different market. One, Alcantara has many, or the, his contract has many years left his contractual rights till he's free agent. So obviously that's more valuable. But two, if you're Kim Ng, the Marlins GM, you can also say, I don't have to trade this guy right now. I can trade him in the winter. I can wait till the winter meetings or January, and I might actually get more from him at that point because I can get more buyers involved potentially. So to me, we're, I'm looking at these as sort of two separate tracks, right? We may see some of the Alcantara type players or even a Buxton where it's what a year and two months remaining. Those guys are just going to command different prices and it's probably different buyers and different negotiations versus the players who are imminent free agents where you know the sellers have to move them. Teams have in general shown a real disinclination to give um, to give up serious prospects when they're only acquiring a player for two months. So to me, those are two separate tracks. I personally 
like the rental player market drives trade deadline conversations. And hopefully, since we're doing a live show for the trade deadline, I hope there's a bunch of those deals. <laughs> but the other kind's more interesting. Right? When somebody trades a a player with multiple years of control left, whenever it is, there's just more for us to sink our teeth into. I would much rather see, even if we just get one or two of those deals, those will be the ones I'll want to focus on. They'll probably include more prospects and the implications are much larger when it's somebody like that. I'm not saying, I, I don't know 100% that Sandy Alcantara is going to be traded, but he just seemed like a really interesting example because it would not have occurred to me at first glance to say, oh, that's a guy who's going to get traded next week. Yeah, I think I've seen his name in zero rumors pieces so far. Oh, uh, so, I made yeah. a rumor. So yeah, good good job starting that one. I, I don't read all of them because I, I can make them up myself. Like I can I can look at rosters and make trades in my mind. I've been doing that since I was a little kid. So why mm-hmm. stop now? <laughs> I think the interesting thing about Alcantara, though, if you think about him, you could actually get Glaber Torres from the Yankees. If you're the Marlins and you want a position player and you want to go mm-hmm. Glaber at second and Jazz Chisholm at short as your long term middle infield combo that's on the table and i think the interesting thing here is that the service time is i think the same gliber should be under club control through 2024 so you'd have mm-hmm. him for a long time that's the kind of deal that could happen and if you're the marlins you're still a little ways away from being a contending club you'd rather have long-term pieces on the position player side than on the pitching side just given the risk that comes with holding on to pitching right as guys age they lose a little bit of stuff they're more likely to break down so i think this is a pretty interesting little window for the marlins to possibly move an arm or two when many teams in the league will not trade pitching and if i'm getting just trying to put myself in kim ang's shoes here so sixto sanchez is is hurt it's shoulder surgery we have no idea when he's coming back or what he'll be when he does come back but Trevor Rogers looks like a, a well above average starting pitcher. Edward Cabrera is very close. He is their top pitching prospect. They have two players from last year's draft. Max Myers, their first rounder, Jake Eater, they took later in the draft out of Vanderbilt. Those two guys both look like absolute clear starting pitchers. Maybe within the next year and a half, I would say they're ready to come up to the majors. You got the makings of a rotation there. Um, and your best shortstop prospect uh, is your best middle infield prospect, I guess, is Khalil Watson, who's a high school player who they just drafted earlier this month. He's probably three to four years away. So that timeline that you just described works pretty well, actually. They could deal from strength. I actually think even with the Sixto Sanchez injury, they do still have some starting pitching depth. Um, where And yet they could address the sort of short-term need, essentially helping fill the gap until Watson is ready. I mean, that Marlins system is good. We, it's such a weird thing to talk about, but the t- two of the clubs that have consistently had among the worst farm systems in baseball in the last, I would say, 10 years, the Mar- Mariners and the Marlins, they're good. They're both really good, and they've gotten good pretty quickly. And it is extremely interesting and fun to talk about the depth that these teams have in their systems. And now if you're the GM of one of these clubs too, you it's a completely different calculus than it was at any point in the last 10 years. Obviously Kim's only been there in, in Miami for, uh, for less than a year. Right. But she is uh, in a situation now where she's got, uh, she's got options. It is no longer just trying to get rid of anybody who makes money and just take whatever you can in return. And suddenly now you have actual positions of strength, from which you can deal. And I'll be very curious to see how much, uh, how aggressive she's willing to be given this, the amount of starting pitching that they have either on the cusp of the majors or coming quickly. Yeah. I think they also have one of the better uh, expiring contracts to trade too with Starling Marte. I think yes, Marte to the Yankees. And I would trade him. I mean, that, that one writes itself. Like the Yankees could use two outfielders at this point. Marte can play center field, the pipeline between those two teams alive and well, and Marte has aged more gracefully than I expected mm-hmm. him to. I mean, he's walking more than ever so far this season. So that's been a little bit lost. I don't know how much of that gain he's going to hold. The K rate's also up too. So maybe there's been a change in approach. Still has some power. Still runs really well. Right, He's 19 for 22 as a base dealer. I mean, this is an impact player for the top of the lineup. And you don't have that long-term commitment. So I'd put him in the same cluster probably as Chris Bryant and Trevor Story in terms of the impact he could make. Uh, over a push to the playoffs. You know, it's funny. I, so I just pulled this up. I mean, it's sort of weird statistical thing that I can get kind of a little bit too locked in on. So he has 29 walks this year. He's played only 58 games. He has 29 walks. 
That is more walks than he had in full seasons in 2013, 2015, 2016, or 2019. If he draws six, why well, I didn't take out the intentionals here. Well, if he draws six more unintentional walks, that will match his career high already, and it's not even August. That's probably meaningful. And he is, yeah, he's striking out a bit, but so is everybody. I mean, I would actually, this would make me more comfortable doing some kind of long-term investment in him. Whereas if you'd asked me that three or four years ago, I would have said, no, I think this is a player who if his, especially because you worry when guys get into their 30s, if they lose a tiny bit of bat speed and the approach is already wobbly, then you worry that you're looking at a guy who's going to have 280 on base percentages. And then suddenly just the offensive value all but um, or nearly evaporates. And I feel like in this case, no, I feel a little bit better about him holding that. And he can still play defense. And as you said, the base running value, he's always been fast, but actually he's turned into a better base runner. I mean, maybe this is just a situation. Obviously, we do see this with certain players where even if the physical skills do start to erode, because we all get older, obviously, a little bit slower than we used to be. But some players do manage to make up for that with improvement in some of the just the things you gain with experience, improved approach, better better ability to read pitchers, better ability to pick up certain pitch types. That can help balance that out. And it would make me more willing to say, I will give Starling Norte a multi-year deal, even if it's the assumption that, okay, I give you five years. Well, you're only playing center for maybe three of those. And in the last two, you've probably moved to a corner or are more of a part-time player. But that's just how free agency works. I'd also say, too, maybe as he ages, you get a little more power output from him because he's never actually been in a hitter-friendly environment, right? In Pittsburgh, Arizona with the humidor, and now Miami, those are all pitcher-friendly ballparks that suppress power, especially for a right-handed hitter. So uh, maybe you see a couple more 20 home run seasons for him if he ends up in a better home park. Even an average home park would be an upgrade for him uh, as a hitter. I think you're right. You move him out of center field, maybe partway through that deal. So he could end up being pretty good value both on the trade market, but also as a free agent this winter. Definitely a guy that has exceeded uh, my expectations. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the nano experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. I think we should talk about the Twins for a moment because they've mm-hmm. got a few guys that have time left. They've got guys that are owed some money that they could move. They've got at least one rental in Nelson Cruz. who'd be pretty interesting on a different team. They've got a pitcher in Michael Pineda. They've got a reliever in Tyler Rogers who could very well be on the move as well. 
how aggressive do you think the Twins are going to be? Oh, I mentioned Buxton a little bit earlier. There's a possibility if he doesn't sign an extension that he's going to go too. Are they going to tear a lot of the core down? I mean, they still have some younger guys that are going to be holdovers, of course. Alex Kirilov and Trevor Larnack and uh, Royce Lewis will be back next year. So they're not going completely down to the studs, but they're, they have a lot of interesting names to move if they end up dealing as many of these guys as they could. Yeah, I would actually... I mean, they're, that's such a tough situation because they were supposed to win this year, right? That was this this club was built potentially to win, and obviously they've had some unexpected injuries. You're only getting well, I guess you should, you could argue Byron Buxton getting hurt shouldn't be totally unexpected, but you know he's been elite when he's played, but he's only played 27 games, and Max Kepler has not been as good as he's been recently. Uh, you know, they've had a couple of players who just have underperformed enough. I think they've also kind of had some some kind of unexpected bad luck or unexpected regressions that maybe you couldn't have planned for. Also, the lack of starting pitching depth, I think, really bit them in the fact that I wonder if they thought Jan Duran was going to be able to contribute to the Major League Club this year and he's been hurt. Did, did they just maybe not adequately plan for some of those? Um, for, for the lack of starting pitching depth, it's possible. It's easy to say that with hindsight. It's maybe not as easy to say that going into the season. I'm pretty sure I picked them to win the division, so I probably shouldn't criticize them for that. But I would say that in this situation, they should probably be looking to trade just about anybody who isn't uh, isn't in that zero to two range that you just made. You know, you rattled off a couple of young players who are clearly part of the long term here. And I know I have read, I think Ken Rosenthal even reported they were trying to work out a long-term deal with Byron Buxton. He is just 27. And I wonder if the fact that he has been hurt a lot might actually work in their favor that do you get him at a little bit of a discount now while he's hurt again, not through this time, not through any fault of his own. He just got hit by a pitch. But is there more, um, do you get him at a little bit of a discount now versus, uh, one, what if you tried to sign him to a long-term extension while he was completely healthy? Or two, does he have a little bit less trade value right now? Because he's barely played this year. He's been hurt a lot. And people do look at him and wonder, is he just injury prone? Is this a player who will always be great and always be hurt? And that gets you less in return. But basically, just about anybody else who's um, who's not a rookie or second-year player, they should at least be exploring the trade market for. Um, because I do think they're... Um, the, that young core that you described is pretty close. And I think that they could probably be competitive again, if not next year, then two years from now with the right series of moves and with some of these guys continuing to approach the majors. Larnack will be better and um, Karoloff will be better. And Jordan Balazovic should be, if he's not in the rotation by the end of this year, he should be in the rotation at some point next year. We just saw Josh Winder at the futures game and he looks like he gives them another mid-rotation type prospect maybe even better it was just a quick look but i liked what i saw at some point you hope duran is fully healthy and he can be that guy also there's some there help is coming pretty quickly and i think they'll have a pretty good young core on the way but if you got players who are especially players who are zero to one year from free agency i would absolutely try to trade pretty much all of those guys and like I said, with that one exception for Buxton, the one guy actually, I sort of as I'm, I'm sort of circling around this. Would you? I'll ask you. Would you trade Jose Barrios? I would. I would put him out there now, and it's nothing against him. I think he's pretty great, but I really wonder if he might be the best starting pitcher available in the market this year. So I'm still a Barrios apologist, believer, <laughs> truther. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Choose choose the word that you want to use to describe me in this case, but a Berieber. <laughs> that one does not roll off the tongue. <laughs> I think he's good enough where the Twins would justifiably extend him if they don't get an offer they like. But I think you need to be open-minded to the possibility that your best path forward as an organization does include trading him. I think he has the type of skill set, kind of a command first, pretty deep arsenal that will age pretty gracefully. I think he's on the shorter list of pitchers that you could say, yeah, I'd actually give this guy a four or five year deal. And maybe we still haven't seen his best seasons yet. And even if we haven't, I think he's the kind of guy that will hold his own and be a pretty steady like two to three war pitcher for the life of the deal. You're probably not going to get burned badly on a long-term Barrios contract. But I would try to trade him first. I guess yeah, that's the I, harsh harsh nature of, of running a baseball team, right? It's like, we like this guy. We'd love to keep him. 
but we can get a lot more that will help us in the long run than he brings by keeping him in the long run if we put him out there right now in a market that just lacks quality pitching. I agree with everything you said about the only thing I might dispute is I think this is it. I think this is what he is, and that's really good. I don't know that there's another gear there unless something massive changes. Right? He adds a brand new pitch, right? He adds a gyro ball or something like that. I, I, but I'm assuming this is what it is. This is really good. If you told me I could get this for five more years, I, you know, shut up and take my money, right? This is good. You can't find guys like this. And he's only 27 and his health history is really good. And he is, you know, he's got the command and control that I think if you sign him for five years, actually, probably stuff really wouldn't decline over five years, but say that by the end of a five year deal, he starts to lose a little bit. I would not anticipate he'd lose a lot, but, you know, maybe he loses a tiny bit of velocity towards the end of that. I like what I think he'd be able to do if he does lose some stuff, does lose a little bit of stuff. Like I think this guy could have a pretty long tail for his career because of his field to pitch and because I do think he'll just, you know, maybe he'll just pitch a little bit less off the fastball or stop locating it certain parts of the zone. I think he'd be able to do that because I do worry if Berrios the 10 years from now, if he starts to lose a little bit of velocity, he would be – um, even more home run prone, which he's been a little bit less so this year, but that's always been a, a tiny bit of an issue for him. I, do I think he could change his approach if that becomes necessary to maintain a big league job? Yeah, I do. I do. I believe in what he is, despite thinking, I don't think he's a number one. I don't know he's really a number two on a lot of teams, or he could be on some teams, but I think he could give you 10 more years as a 3-4 starter, and that is worth a lot of money right now. Yeah, and I think to clarify, when I say a deep arsenal, he has three average or better pitches right now. The changeup mm-hmm. is not a good pitch. If he can either improve the changeup or find a fourth pitch, that is going to go a long way as he loses velocity because we all lose velocity. I never had velocity to begin with. As that velocity goes away, he will still be able to turn lineups over that third time. That's going to be the key for him. The curveball is great. The sinker is not bad. Even the four-seamer is okay right now, but that pitch is not going to grade out as well as he loses a couple of ticks in the next four to five years. And you are right. He has a pretty big platoon split this year. Um, 474 OPS. I don't love OPS, but just for the sake of brevity here. 474 OPS against righties or righties against him. 851 for lefties, consistent with not having a great changeup or splitter. He would be a good candidate for a splitter. I know mm-hmm. teams don't like teaching them. They're afraid that they get guys hurt. I think that is anecdotal. I don't think there's real evidence to say that. Also, it would make him pretty effective against lefties. Maybe that is the way he gets to be more than what he is. Maybe maybe I'm wrong that at some point someone teaches him a split or a split change, anything else to improve that fourth pitch. I mean, it's the Mitch Keller problem. Mitch Keller obviously not as good as Berrios, but somebody just asked me about him recently. You know, Mitch Keller's been exactly the same guy for about four years now, and he is as good a candidate for a splitter as I can find anywhere in baseball where he's got the size, the delivery, the arm slot, everything would be perfect for a splitter and lefties destroy Keller. And actually he's had some trouble against righties too, although I feel like he could work his way around that, but lefties just see his fastball all day long and he has nothing to get them off of it. And I would love to see the pirates try that with Keller. I guess it's lower risk, right? Keller hasn't been good. If you're the twins, you look at Berrios, you say, well, I don't want to mess with that. He's been pretty good so far, but maybe that's the next gear for him is to find some, some other way to deliver a change of pace pitch. doesn't actually have to be specifically a change up, but something to, uh, to help neutralize lefties. Yeah, Mitch Keller, I think I get more questions about him than any other player in the league. I, it's not just Pirates fans either. Right? It, it's fantasy players. People just want to know, like, sure. why isn't this guy better? He was supposed to be good. Yeah. Uh, fastball's pretty flat, though, right? I mean, that's part of the issue. Yeah. It, and I, I have scouted him a couple of times. Like, you, you can see it. It's, yeah, you see the ball out of his hand enough. Um, if he had, I mean, it could be that getting a change, better change. I mean, the Pirates have tried various types of change-ups with him. It hasn't worked. So to me, that is, once you've reached that point, you've exhausted the change-up, so to speak, you move to, you, you got to try split. You have to try, you have to try something else. And that is absolutely the next best option. And try if you go to, you know, if you watch any online, watch NPB games or even KBO games, they're all throwing splitters over there. And as far as I know, there's no evidence that says they're getting hurt 
more, certainly not as a result of throwing that pitch, but we have such an antipathy towards that pitch, just this distrust in the splitter. Uh, here, again, uh, despite, I think, a lack of, you know, there's probably more evidence that screwballs are not good for the arm, although I would still say if it's that or get released, you know what, teach me a screwball, right? Yeah, you know, don't get released. Right, right? Well, you, I always say this, if you could go to a kid who was about to get released and said to him, I'm going to teach you a pitch. This is like a fairy tale, right? I'm going to teach you a pitch that will get you one full year in the big leagues. You will make $600,000. You'll get a year of service. You will be able to tell people the rest of your life that you pitched in the big leagues. And then after at the end of that year, you're going to blow out your elbow and never pitch again. Most of these guys would say yes, not just for money, because that's the dream, right? Just getting to the big leagues is the dream. And I don't even think the splitter is quite that dire a trade-off, but basically just about any kid would say, yeah, teach me the splitter. And only not everybody can throw that. Not everybody can throw any pitch. You can't, it's not as easy as like handing somebody a splitter and suddenly they have that pitch. They have to have the size, your hand has to be big enough to really get a good grip on it. And I think the number one thing with splitters is just how it is up to your arm swing and release point. You have to get to certain points. You have to be on top of the ball the right way to be able to get the right kind of bottom to that pitch so that it is effective. But Keller especially is one I just always thought he'd be a good candidate for it. I feel like they just had to exhaust the possibilities with him. And now you look at him and say, it's a guy who was a top 20 prospect in all of baseball, I think on all our lists, certainly on mine. And he's not good. So you got to start trying. You're down far enough down the development path with him that you have to try bigger measures, even if you're willing to, even if it means taking more risk, because otherwise he's not anything right now. He's not a major league starter right now. So you have to try something, something bold. He's got a good slider, so he could be an excellent late inning reliever. But if you're making that move now, you've missed out Ugh. on something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a wasted opportunity. I agree. Let's talk about the Rangers for just a moment, because I think they have a pitcher who almost certainly will get traded, Kyle Gibson. Mm-hmm. And we've seen some pretty bad years from Kyle Gibson throughout his career. We've seen a handful of pretty good ones. What do you make of him at this point? The velo is not up. The pitch mix isn't that different. He added a cutter, and the cutter is getting hit. So it's not like the cutter itself is helping him. I did wonder, though, I've had a lot of conversations with Eno over the years uh, just about the value of having more pitches, right? If you have that extra tool in the box, then it changes the way hitters are thinking and how they're approaching you in every single sequence. So I wonder if maybe, even though that pitch itself, the cutter 15% usage, something like that, isn't getting great results, if that's made some of his other pitches a little bit more effective. 286 ERA, 113 whip so far this season. I don't think anyone's trading him expecting that the rest of the way. But good Gibson in the past, Keith, has been more of like a high threes ERA, league average-ish whip, uh, well below a strikeout per inning. Do you think that's plausible? Do you think he's at least good enough to be acquired? And is he the kind of guy that you trade for for a rotation depth, but then you don't necessarily use him in a playoff series? Or is he good enough to start a playoff game for for a team that has World Series aspirations? It's funny that 286 ERA, two starts ago, his ERA was a buck ninety eight. And he's given up 13 runs in 11.1 innings in his last two outings. Um, you know, part of a function of just getting hit. Uh, I think he's a depth starter. I think he's an innings guy. Uh, and I'd be, it's fun. God, and he even got, gave up five runs in his first outing of the year. So he had a stretch there. I'm sorry, I'm like cutting myself off, but I find this stuff fascinating. I love, This is what I get lost in baseball references, game logs. He had a 15 start stretch. I'm just arbitrarily throwing out his first start and his last two starts. 15 starts where he went 95 innings and had a 151 ERA. I don't think anyone's going to expect to acquire that Kyle Gibson, but that's a pretty good half season. It's clearly the best half season he's probably ever going to have in Major League Baseball. I would not expect to get that version of Kyle Gibson, but I think you got you got an innings guy. And could he start game three or four for a playoff series in a playoff series for someone? Yeah. That's what I think he is. And I think that's fine. I think that's worth something. We were talking about with Berrios a moment ago. Innings are worth a lot. There are not a lot of starters out there who can handle a traditional, I mean, maybe it's not even a traditional starter's workload, but well, just call it a starter's workload. There are so many five and dive stars. There are so many teams that only want guys to go through a lineup twice 
But I am still in favor of guys who have the capability to go through a lineup three times, even if we don't always ask them to do that. I think that is worth quite a bit, especially in terms of just avoiding a situation where you overtax your bullpen. Now, maybe you get to the playoffs and you only ask your starters to go twice through because your bullpen's fresher at that point. But give me give me a couple of guys in my rotation who I know can go seven innings if the situation calls for it. And he's one. Yeah, having Gibson in your rotation in August and September maybe frees up the bullpen a little bit, gives them a little bit of rest, keeps them a bit more fresh for October, and you can lighten up Gibson's workload in October, have him go a little shorter into starts, maybe maximize the effectiveness of everybody involved uh, going down that path. Joey Gallo is going to be among the players likely moved between now and the deadline. And I think every Joey Gallo rumor sends him to the Bronx. Like there's the Starling Marte, Joey Gallo dream that seems to be floating around in in Yankees Twitter, which is a dangerous place to go, by the way. I don't recommend spending a lot of time in in Yankees Twitter. It's not... uh, Don't spend too much time on Twitter, period. Yeah, but like Yankees Twitter in particular is still a pretty dark place throughout the... This whole season, it's been rough, but uh, I feel bad for Lindsay Adler. She's she's out there every single day dealing with that. <laughs> but the the Rangers have Gallo. Gallo's a, a fascinating player, kind of like Baez, but he walks a lot, right? He's a three true outcomes guy through and through, game-changing mm-hmm. power, and he's been red hot for, geez, almost two months, it feels like now, after a, a bit of a slow start. So what kind of ceiling do you think Joey Gallo has? Have we seen the absolute best of him? And, and where else could he fit, right? If he doesn't fit with the Yankees, where do you see Gallo possibly landing when we're talking a week from now? Yeah, I think this is the I think this is peak Gallo. I don't know that there's an I mean, this is really good, right? A 386 on base percentage, which he did two years ago with power. Actually, it was I guess as I'm looking, his slash line from two years ago was actually better. Uh, 389 on base, 598 slug in 70 games in 2019. He's at 386 on base, so essentially the same, only five, only 502 slug this year, leading the American League in walks. You know, he struck out three times since we started this podcast. Whatever, that's what he is. That's just who he's always been. And I, he is a player. I mean, obviously he's 27. That's not out of the question to make changes, but I wouldn't anticipate it. Now, he's a player I would say, I would never say to him, that you need to change your approach because this is this is just who he is. I think what you get, it's the trade-off to get this otherworldly power. And I would still say this, he has the most raw power of any amateur player I have personally scouted, any high school player, certainly. Um, you, This is the trade-off, right? He's going to run lots of deep counts. He's going to swing and miss uh, inordinately. But you get this absolutely ridiculous power along with it. And he does because he runs deep counts because he's not undisciplined. He just kind of swings hard all the time. Um, you do get on base value. It's a different sort of player, but it is pretty, he's a pretty valuable big leaguer. Um, and I think he's got some, he's got enough positional versatility that you could probably find spots for him in lots of places. I know Padres Twitter wants Joey Gallo. Sure. The Rangers and Padres make deals like the Yankees and Marlins are going to make deals, right? There's enough crossover front office personnel that you're definitely going to see lots of fits. But I would guess you'd probably see quite a few contenders at least exploring the Gallo option just to see, well, where else can we fit him? Because the bat, there's nobody who couldn't use his bat, right? I think he would fit, you know, just to his, uh, what he adds to your offense would help just about every club. Um, and if I am, uh, you know, it would be more of a situation like, could the Giants use his bat? Sure. I don't know that I entirely trust everyone who's in their outfield right now. But also, if I'm in the Giants front office, I'm thinking, hey, I probably need to address the bullpen before I start adding to an outfield that is fine, even if I don't entirely trust it. And it may be that Gallo's market is just a little bit impacted by teams saying, we'd love to have Joey Gallo, but we got other things we got to go after first, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think you're right to point out both the Giants and Padres, though. They seem like good fits. The A's, I think, could also be a fit. And we've seen the Rangers and A's deal. I think there's a lot less to the teams won't deal with teams in the division than people would say. I mean, I think generally you just want the best possible trade. And even though Gallo's not a rental, who cares? You faced Joey Gallo for a year and two months. Your team got better. You had to make that deal because it was the best deal on the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Gallo, I think if, if you're... If you love the stats on the back of the baseball card, you will always have a, a negative reaction to a guy who has a career 212 batting average. But when you hold the card, I know this is uh, this is bad in baseball cards, the cover 
with your thumb the batting average and look at the numbers. Okay, <laughs> like do that, and then you will be excited about Joey Gallo if your team trades for him because he is an impact player and he's a good defender too in, in the outfield. He's not a mm-hmm. bad defender, so I think that's a nice little value add too. It's not just a pure masher without a position. It's a guy that can actually play the outfield reasonably well. Yes, he's actually. It's funny because he was such a. Uh, he's got an eighty arm. I saw him hit ninety five off the mound in high school. Um, he just never wanted to play third base. I always thought the the Rangers were a little quick to move him off. He's obviously big for the position, but he's turned out to. It, it seems like they moved him to the outfield, and he redoubled his efforts to work on his defense, and has turned into a really much better outfielder than I ever anticipated. I just worried. Well, if he doesn't care about his defense at third, is this Miguel Sano all over again? He's just not going to care about defense anywhere. And it turned out. That was not true. I guess I pretty clearly underestimated him in that regard. He's turned into a very I – mean, he's an all-around player. He just – like you said, you just cover up the batting average. I know there are going to be probably folks like my parents' age who will just not be able to get past the batting average. But to me, I mean, this is – you take value in all sorts of shapes. And this is – he's the, he is an extreme, right? You can't get more – there is no more Joey Gallo than Joey Gallo. You just can't do this anymore. If he struck out a little bit more, I think I think the whole thing would fall apart at that point. But this is it. This is the there is this shape of production. He's getting the absolute most you can. I feel like the most you can out of it. Yeah, does extraordinary damage when he makes contact. K rate is a career best, thirty one point six percent. So if he holds it down there, there could be. Uh, a lot of fun on the horizon for any team that acquires him. Career best walk rate at nineteen point five percent as well. A few other things I just wanted to get to before we go. We'll go rapid fire on these. Late last week, Jack Peterson traded by the Cubs to Atlanta. Bryce Ball, part of the return. Anything of interest for you in that trade? I saw Ball. Uh, Rome came through here a couple of weeks ago, and um, he was a college draft. He's He fits into the bucket of players for me who are probably most adversely impacted by the lost minor league season, where he was an older draft and uh, big power. He is a big, strong kid. And losing a whole year of at-bats, I think, really cost him. I don't think he's a non-prospect. There's still power there. And I do think he has some idea at the plate. But boy, he just he's just behind age-wise, right? He needed to continue to play. And for obviously for Jock Peterson, who's a platoon guy, you're not going to get a huge return. I'm not criticizing the return here. I just think Ball is a, it's a bit of a lottery ticket in that. There could still be something there. He could be a patience and power sort of first baseman, but he's got to hit. He has no defensive value. He's not a great athlete. You are absolutely betting on the bat, and he needs to kind of accelerate uh, to move. You know, he, just, he looked behind. He looked rusty. He looked like he really suffered from the loss of at-bats. And he was a guy I had in the Atlanta's top 20 or so prospects. Might have had him in the top 15. Atlanta system's kind of deep, but he's a guy I'd ranked, right? He was good. He was a prospect coming out of that 2019 season was one of their, they had a really interesting draft that year. He was a late round pick. They gave him a little extra money. Looked like they might've found something coming out of 2019. And I think that the loss of the 2020 season is really cost him and players like him, college draftees who needed to work on something, particularly at the plate, losing 400 at bats like that. Just, it's going to, we're going to lose a lot of those players, unfortunately. Yeah, in the case of Ball, he doesn't have to be put on the 40-man roster to be protected from the Rule 5 draft until 2022. So that probably means he's got a year and two months to show the Cubs something and to possibly stick and make good for them long-term as the uh, return in that Peterson deal. Uh, Brandon Marsh has been called up by the Angels. We've seen, I think, three games from him already. We're recording this on Thursday. So, uh, you know, take that with the necessary grain of salt. But the... (laughs) The thing of Brandon Marsh, it's like he's a great defender in center field. I think the numbers, if you number scout him, you're not necessarily wowed, but every sort of report I read about him points more towards some developing game power that should start to arrive because he's he's a big guy, right? He's like 6'4". Mm-hmm. So there's reason to believe he's going to start tapping into a bit more power here now that he's reached the big league level. It's just a matter of adjusting to big league pitching before he gets to it. Yep, I would agree with all of that. I think he's a power speed center fielder. Um, I will be curious to see, you know, we're just seeing a lot of guys. He's, he struck out a bit in 2018, struck out probably a little more than you'd like. 2019 looked like he was making some small progress in that regard. As, as you expect, he was still only 21 years old. We have seen a lot of hitters go from AAA to the majors this year and really struggle right out of the gate. I had a scout say to me earlier this week as I was working on prospect rankings 
that uh, he felt like the gap between AAA and the majors is larger now than it's ever been before, anecdotally speaking, just like from observation. I would agree with that. Uh, you know, and I wonder, I don't know if that's going to impact Marsh specifically. You never know exactly who that's going to impact. I would say be very patient with him, no pun intended, and be patient hitter anyway. <laughs> so, but I like Marsh eventually as a you know, 20 plus, maybe 25, 20 guy, 25 homers, 20 steals, playing really good defense in center field. Obviously, the Angels have an outfielder who's pretty good. You're always going to accommodate him first, but Marsh is legit. And Marsh doesn't have the explosive upside of a Joe Adele, but I like Marsh's chance to hit, actually hit, put the ball in play, hit for some average more than Adele's. We saw Adele's game was pretty skewed last year, and I think part of why Adele, they've been slow, essentially slowed him down this year is, you know, you've got pretty clear deficiencies that you do need to work on. Salt Lake, not an ideal place to work on things like that, but don't rush him a second time. You rushed him the first time. I understand why they did that last year. It did not help Adele at the plate or in the field. I feel like Marsh is a little more predictable. And even if Marsh does struggle a little bit with contact, I like his long-term hit tool outlook more, even if he doesn't have the explosive tools of an Adele. Marsh has pretty good tools of his own. And I think a better command of the strike zone today than Adele, certainly than Adele did when he came up last August. Yeah, and I think the presence of Adele has maybe overshadowed Marsh a bit as a prospect, relatively speaking. Uh, And then there's Josiah Gray, who got called up by the Dodgers. Wanted to get your thoughts on him. Josiah Gray is a really interesting prospect and probably a guy that is started to exceed expectations in the upper levels of the minors relative to where people thought he would be when he first signed. Yeah, he was a Division II pitcher, Lemoyne in upstate New York, uh, which I have to say because often I forget where Lemoyne is. But yes, Division II, uh, a little bit of a surprise when they drafted him, when Cincinnati drafted him up there, but I think it's been more than vindicated, certainly since then. Um, started the year hurt. Uh, then came up to the majors kind of sooner than I expected. He hadn't been back very long when they chose to call him up. And I think you kind of saw two things from him in the debut. I went, I did watch the debut. Obviously, he gave up three home runs. He hung a breaking ball and got punished for that. And I think his fastball location, he doesn't, the fastball, despite having, I would say, um, he's got above average spin on the fastball, but if you watch it, it looks pretty straight and hitters certainly the other night seem to react to it that way. I don't think that fastball is necessarily going to miss a ton of bats. Not now, at least. I think he's going to have to go to the off-speed stuff more for that. I think you also saw what I was just saying too. That gap between AAA and the majors is as big as ever. And guys who are even dominating a AAA looks like they're completely ready and they're going to come up. And especially the long ball. And you were just seeing, you know, Gray is, I don't think Gray was ever somebody, I, I have to check my own writing. Did I ever say he was going to be exceptionally homer prone? I really don't think so. And you saw three homers and a bunch of hard hit balls and not missing a lot of bats with the fastball in that debut. I think you saw, I don't think that's so much a reflection on Gray as it is a reflection of the gap between AAA and the majors right now. I do think He's potentially a four-pitch guy. Um, you only threw one changeup in that first outing. I would like to see more of that. Uh, I think the curveball is a swing and miss weapon for him. And I do think when he's better able to locate that fastball, it will be a more effective pitch. I see a mid-rotation starter right now. There might be some more ceiling there. He was also kind of seen as a bit underdeveloped for his age when he was first drafted because he came out of D2. I think because he was also, if I'm remembering correctly, a little bit of a late convert to pitching. So there may be some more upside there. I also have learned, don't ever question the Dodgers on pitching development because they've had a bunch of guys there. You know, Dustin May, before he got hurt, he got into their system and he got way better. Andre Jackson, who we saw at the Futures game, he he had he was a very late convert to pitching. I think he'd only pitched maybe one year at the University of Utah or a year and change full time. And now he might be the Dodgers' best pitching prospect still in their system. They do some pretty good things over there. So there may be more development ahead of Gray. But what we saw the other night was just a little red, tiny red flags on him. And also, I think even more a demonstration of just how big that gap is between AAA and the majors. Probably a big mistake by the Reds, though, including him as part of a throw in oh, that, that deal, deal with the Dodgers at this point. That one looks just awful for Cincinnati in hindsight, which that happens sometimes. But that's a colossal mistake on their part. 
Before we go, a couple things I want to let people know about. Uh, first, the latest episode of the Keith Law Show. Eric Longenhagen was the guest. Lots to talk about the MLB draft in that episode, so be sure to check that out. And for subscribers to The Athletic, Keith has an updated top 50 prospects list up there, so check that out. You can get in the door for $3.99 a month at theathletic.com slash baseball show if you're not already a subscriber. You can hear me on Rates and Barrels and our full suite of fantasy baseball shows. If you're enjoying this show, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review and tell a friend. We're still pretty new, so any friends out there who would love baseball, of course, let them know that you're enjoying this show and hopefully they'll enjoy it as well. On Twitter, Keith is at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Have a great weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.